Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, and we're going to read from chapter 11. For those who are visiting with us, we're delighted to see you. And I just want to emphasize before I read the scriptures, if you've come with the thought that I was going to preach on the subject of uh, climate change, then I'm very, very sorry to uh, disappoint you. I'm going to preach on it uh, next Lord's Day. I know I said this last Lord's Day evening, uh, and I do apologize. Um, A dear man has sent me some additional information that I want to listen to before I preach in this very important subject. Bear in mind that I'm only a preacher and I'm not a scientist and I don't have all the scientific data or facts. And uh, some brother uh, has very kindly shared some information and I want to listen to that before I preach in this very important uh, subject. So I was praying late last night and I said, Lord, um, I need a word for the Sabbath evening then if I'm not going to preach in this subject. And uh, the, the word straight away that came into my mind was this. These all died in faith. And that's what we're going to think about this evening. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. And we encourage all online to not only look at the words on the screen, but get a copy of the scriptures and follow their own Bible and follow the reading for themselves. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude 
and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, unheavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 16. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is taken from Hebrews 11, verse 13. And I want to think this evening of the theme that I've entitled, The Christian's Only True Confession. Now, look with me at verse 13. Listen to the words. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, the Apostle Paul, whom I believe to be the human author of the book of Hebrews, is writing to encourage God's people. They're in danger of quitting and giving up and turning away from Christianity and Christ back to Judaism. And he presents to them in this book, and it's a wonderful book, and I love the book of Hebrews, he presents to them the superiority of Jesus Christ in his person and work. So if I say tonight, by way of summary, in the midst of all your trials and troubles, in the midst of every tear, and you think of God's people in that day, their ill treatment, the loss of their possession and position, losing their jobs, imprisoned, hardship because they confess Christ, and that desire in their heart wanting to quit, what was Paul's advice to them? And it was simply this, fix your eyes in Jesus Christ. Think of the little chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And all that is set forth in a wonderful way, the superiority of Jesus Christ in relation to quite a number of individuals, even the angels, the patriarchs, the high priest Aaron, and the priesthood uh, of Aaron and Levi, and so on and so forth. Now, by the time the Apostle Paul comes to Hebrews 11, here he is looking back, and he begins to remember former times and former people who lived back then. Here in Hebrews 11, he, as it were, is scanning the entire Old Testament era and presenting a summary of what the Lord has done in the lives of his people. Now, let me stress to you something. It is only a summary. We're entering into what we could call the Hall of Fame or the heroes of the Christian faith. And I want to stress, it's not a detailed exposition of the whole of their lives. There's many things missing. If we were to examine the whole of their lives, whole books could be written. Some of their lives would maybe take two books if we think about the life and times of the men and women of God in olden day. But as we read, we discover that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. 
that Enoch by faith walked with God and was translated because he had a testimony that he pleased the Lord. By faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house and condemned the old world. By faith, Abraham left the earth of the Chaldees at the call of God to go into a place in which he would receive an inheritance. Mention is even made in verse 11 of his wife, Sarah. Now remember this, that all that these individuals did, all that they accomplished in their day and generation, they did through the grace and power of God. God was at work in them and through them. In other words, God gifted them with the deposit or the gift of faith. And through faith in him, these mighty acts and many more were done and accomplished. Now here's something very interesting. As you walk through this, we'll call it the gallery of faith. And you stop at the portrait of each one of these individuals, thinking of who they are, thinking of when they lived, thinking of what they did. Notice in this book, Hebrews 11 now, there's no mention of their sins. There's no mention of any failure. There's no flagging up their sins and shortcomings. Were they not all born sinners? Yes. Did they not all live as sinners? Yes. Did they not all sin in thought and word and deed against the Lord? Yes, they did, but they're not mentioned. Why? Why not flag them up? Because the answer is this, that these individuals that are mentioned were all in Christ through faith. And all that took place in their lives, God did in them and through them by the instrument of faith. So literally, the acts and the feats that they accomplished were his acts, his feats, and his accomplishments in and through them on this very important principle, the principle of faith. Now, as I looked at the text last evening, scratching my head, thinking, how would this unfold? I thought, first of all, of the people addressed. Notice the words in the text. These all died in faith. So, so who are the these? Well, he's already mentioned some of the Old Testament saints. Individuals who had faith in the Lord. And they not only had an individual faith subjectively, which was true to their experience. Think of the command, have faith in God. And they exercised that gift of faith in the Lord. They could say in truth, I'm a believer in the God of heaven and his word. So I asked tonight this question. These all died in faith. Who were they? They were individuals who say, I believe in God. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his son. And I believe in his word. But it was not only faith subjectively, but there's faith objectively here. Because if we were to rend it literally from the Greek, it would read, these all died according to the faith. And then when it puts the definite article in, you have to think of that body of truth that's connected to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Literally the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ and his personal work. 
And these individuals, here we can see faith worshipping. Think of the life of Abel, offering a blood sacrifice. Why? Because he believed in the necessity of the blood sacrifice in order to worship God. Where did he get that information? That was revealed to him and probably revealed to Adam and Eve as well. He discovered that's the only ground that we can worship God on, the ground of a blood sacrifice. So think of Abel worshiping the Lord on the basis of a blood sacrifice. And that blood sacrifice, of course, remember, the lamb slain, the blood shed, pointed forward to Calvary. And it ties into the first gospel promise. Genesis 3 and 15, the promise of a deliverer, the promise of a Messiah that was to come into the world and bleed and die on behalf of his people. Remember it says of Abraham, Genesis 22 verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb. Again in John 8, 56, the Lord Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So there's faith worshipping. But we also see faith's walk. Enoch walked with God. Isn't this what the Bible tells us? Verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And that ties into the account in Genesis chapter 5. I believe it's verse 22. Here we have faith's witness. Noah, moved with fear, built an ark to the saving of his house. Noah was a real man. He was a man of God, a man who loved righteousness and hated sin. And here's another aspect to the life of faith. Noah's action in building an ark was a witness against and to an ungodly world. God was warning the world. Just as he's warning the world still today with changes in weather patterns, tsunamis and hurricanes... You even think of this COVID disease that stalked the earth, disasters that are happening. These are all pointers, and God is saying through them, there's greater judgment to come. There's worldwide judgment to come. There's faith's witness. Think of faith waiting. Look at verses 8 to 10 in chapter 11. Abraham is living in the earth of the Chaldees, an important place, an important city, city for trade and commerce and Um, agriculture and architecture they even had their own uh, drainage system if we believe the archaeologists who have uh, had certain digs in that area and he was called to leave it the bible says he went out not knowing where he went And by faith, the Bible says he sojourned in the land of promise and lived in tents along with Isaac and, and, and along with Jacob Mention is made of a city. Notice what it says there in uh, verse 10. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Think of Abraham. He he didn't actually live in the city. He never got the city. You you think of the final form of that city to come. The the, the final state uh, where where the... uh, People of God are brought together in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. In the glorious heavenly New Jerusalem whose builder and maker is God. Think of faith's work. Think of Sarah. Isn't mention made of her? Notice what it says here in verse 11. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
See that word strength there? It means power. It's the Greek dunamos, power to conceive, even though she was 90 years of age, power to deliver a baby. All the power and ability that was needed was granted to her through faith. You see, God was at work. And God did it all in and through them on the principle and on the basis of faith. And God did many other wonderful things. And I have no doubt that the writer began to be blown away. He thought about faith worshipping in the ground of the blood. Faith where an individual in an ungodly day could walk with God. Faith witnessing against an ungodly world. Faith waiting for that eternal city to come. Faith at work receiving strength to do things. And it was all designed to encourage their souls. And Paul is thinking of all that God has done. And all that God is doing and going to do in the lives of his people, not only in his day and generation, but now. You see, to this day, God is still at work. And when we think about worshipping God and walking with him and waiting in him and and, uh, God working, this is going to continue. And it won't cease until the day that Jesus Christ returns in power and glory. You see, when you read verse 13, what does he say? These all died in faith. God's people are in heaven. God's people are at peace. God's people have triumphed by the grace and power of the Lord that has enabled them to reach heaven, their eternal home and reward. And every one of them, faithful men and women of God, You see, it's not the individual saying, well, I've got my faith. It's the individuals here saying, I believe the Lord, or or, I have faith in the Lord. Where we're told here, all these died in faith. And he's looking back on the saints of the Lord. And they've now gone home and they've gone to their eternal reward. And he, he wants us to understand that that principle is still going on. You think of ourselves as a church past 20 years. Think of all the saints that have been called home to glory. Think of the saints in the present. Some of the names that I've just mentioned in prayer over this past couple of weeks. And what's the key? What's the main thing? It's this. These all die according to the faith. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to having faith in him. You see, what is faith? Forsaking all, I take him or or I trust him. And central to that is the preaching and the presentation of Jesus Christ. And people being reminded that they're born sinners and they live as sinners. And that they've got a soul and they need to be saved. And only Jesus Christ can save them. Think of Acts 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And if you think of individuals in heaven, and you want to join them, remember this. There's no hope in joining them till you answer the question, will you also die in the faith of the gospel? That is, will you die in Christ? Because there's two ways to die, in your sins or in the Savior. And the Savior is the only true object of faith. That's why the Apostle John, writing to the 
people of God in his day as he wrote the book of Revelation said Revelation 14 and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me write blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth yea saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them that's the people addressed these all died in faith and I'm, I'm pressing it home now if you want to join them in the glory and be in heaven with them and be reunited with loved ones, then you've got to answer the question, will you also die in faith? Have you faith in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Is he the object of your love and devotion this evening? We asked the question there in that hymn, will the circle be unbroken? And it will only be unbroken if you live and die without Jesus Christ. Notice also here not only the people addressed, but notice the promises affirmed. It says here in the text, if you look at it, verse 13, not having received the promises. Now, what does that mean? Did they receive the promises or not? What it means is this, not having received the promises, they did not live long enough to see the actual fulfillment of these promises. You think of a believer dying in Christ and he's leaving this world and he has lived in it, place of his birth that can be identified, the years of his upbringing, the lifestyle that he lived, the moment in time of his death. And as he closed his eyes in death, he was fixed in Christ as the Lamb of God. And, and, and all that he is, as far as his personal work is concerned, he had already discovered or she had discovered. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And Paul is telling us that saints in the past, from Abel, Sarah, and right up to his present time, many of them who died in Christ did not live to see the fulfillment of many of these promises. You think of Abel up to Sarah. Abraham and Moses, Joshua and so on and so forth. Did they see the historical fulfillment of Christ's first coming? Think of his incarnation, think of his birth, think of his sinless life, think of his atoning death as a resurrection. They didn't see the actual historical fulfillment of that. But, but they looked forward to all that because all that was promised in Christ. Genesis 3 verse 15, the promise of a saviour. Remember it says in John 8, 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. How did he see it? He's seen it by faith. Even though Abraham wasn't a contemporary of Jesus Christ in his incarnation, virgin birth and life and death, Abraham saw Christ as the Lamb of God. He saw him by faith. And all of these individuals, they all looked forward to all that God had promised them in Christ. And like Isaac and Jacob, they were all heirs of the same promise. Notice it's plural. You see, there's many promises in Christ. There's many features and aspects to Christ's person and work. And to experience a wonderful relationship with the Lord. Promises that are so multiplied and so great and grand. They couldn't be fully defined or fully explored this side of eternity. You think of the first gospel promise. The promise of a saviour. Genesis 3.15. You, you think of the promise of help on the journey. The Lord is able to give a, a lending hand. 
The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Think of the promise of answers to prayer, hearing prayer. Think of the promises of grace, the promises of glory in the world to come, the promise of seed time and harvest that shall not pass. I want you to notice tonight the people addressed and the promises affirmed. They perceived the promises. Notice the words here. But having seen them afar off, we'll pause there. You see, there was a perception of the reality of these promises. They've seen them afar off. That's very graphic language. You've got to think of a sailor out in the ocean. In those days, remember, they um, were going by wind power or using oars as well. Think of a sailor up in the crow nest and he's looking for something in the distance. What's he looking for? He's scanning the horizon. He's looking for land. He's looking for a shoreline. And if he sees it in the distance, what's his responsibility? His responsibility is to cry, land ahoy. And then the land begins to emerge until they get nearer and nearer, until the day comes when they can arrive and set foot in that. And that's the picture there of these promises. They perceived the promises from afar off. And they set their hope in Christ the fulfiller of the promise. They they thought of a day and time when the Savior would be born, when he would live his life, a sinless life, when he would die on the cross, when he would rise again. And they had hope in him and only hope in him as the promised Redeemer. And they lived to get sight of him. And they lived to set hope in him. And they cast aside every other confidence. They had no confidence in self, no confidence in their church, their works, their good works, their religion. They knew that the only hope of eternal life and knowing God and having their sins forgiven and peace with God only was found in Jesus Christ. Now they only tasted them. They hadn't got the total fulfillment of them. But oh, they perceived the promise. Let me tell you a little story. I love telling you little stories. You have heard the name John Bunyan. He was from Bedford. In England, it's near Cambridge, I believe, somewhere in the Midlands. Well, well he was a tinker. Now, now, what's a tinker, boys and girls? A tinker was a seller of pots and pans. Somebody coming round your door and saying to your mummy or your granny or your daddy, probably mummy or da- granny would have been better, would you like a new pot? Or I could fix your old pot. Because he was very, very good at that. And he repaired loads of kitchen utensils. That's what a tinker Tinker did. And, and he travelled around Bedford and various other towns and villages to um, display and ply his trade. So you've got to think of him mending uh, and making pots for people. And one day he's visiting a nearby town and he comes across a group of women. God bless the women folk in the church tonight. And when he arrives at this particular location, the women are talking. Women are very good at talking men, aren't they? Now, what are the women talking about on this occasion? They're talking about Jesus Christ. And they're talking about eternal life and what Christ has done and can do for individuals. And they were thanking God for Christ. And they were complaining how the established language in church had banned anyone who was not ordained from preaching the word of God in the open air. Now, at this point, John Bunyan He was trying to live a good life. He had turned over a new leaf. 
He had tried his best on his own strength and power to reform his life. And one of these women actually quoted John 3 and verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. And at that moment, as he stood there listening to the woman about to interrupt him, would you like to buy a pot? Would you like to buy a pan? Have you anything that you would like repaired? At that moment, God smote his heart. And he discovered, as his eyes was opened, it's not a, a reformation I need. I need regeneration. These words, you must be born again, struck him. And in that moment, the Lord took away a stony heart and gave him a new heart. And that's exactly what he said he would do in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. And that very day, or a few hours later, John Bunyan was gloriously converted. Did you know that John Bunyan was put into jail for 12 years? He was persecuted because he refused to stop preaching in the open air. Could you imagine that if I was down in Belfast preaching in the open air and then the police came along and arrested me and said there was a law said you couldn't preach in the open air. John Bunyan had a wife called Mary and four children. One of them was actually blind. But during those 12 years in prison, remember, he wrote the book, Pilgrim's Progress. A pilgrim on a journey of life. And the most important thing in the journey is to know that you're born again, to know that you've got eternal life, to know that you've perceived what the promises of God are in Christ. Eventually, new laws were passed, and all the nonconformists, including John Bunyan, were set free. Many new churches were opened up, in mid-England in particular. And John Bunyan eventually became a, a Baptist pastor. And he's buried in the city of London. I believe it's in a place called Bunhill Field Cemetery, where many other evangelists are buried. Not only did these people perceive the promises, but they were persuaded of the promises. Notice the words here, and were persuaded of them. What does that mean? It means they were convinced that they were 100% true. They reasoned it in their heart and mind. They could say, I believe the word of God. I remember a preacher saying one time that he was of Paul's persuasion. Somebody said, well, I've heard of Methodism and Anglicanism and Presbyterianism, Evangelicalism, but, but what's Paul's persuasion? And of course, he turned him to Romans 8 and 38. Paul said, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. And also there in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the apostle Paul said this, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know in whom I believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul the persecutor, Paul the blasphemer had become a believer Here's all these promises that they perceived And they were unfulfilled And yet they were fully persuaded of them Tonight I say to you that Jesus Christ is fully reliable He's wholly trustworthy And this Christ comes and he calls for you to repent of your sin and receive him as Lord and Savior. And he promises not only to cleanse you from your sin, but but to change you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And you can rest in him. And you can be reassured in him. And you don't have to doubt. You don't have to question his promises. 
because he'll never be hesitant in the fulfillment of them. You'll never have to say, will he keep his word? His word is true. What about the possession of the promises? Look again at the text and it says there in the book of Hebrews, and embraced them. As I've said to you already, John Bunyan was in prison 12 years. wasn't easy. Wife at home with four children, one of them blind. They said to him on many occasions, you know, if you recant, we'll let you out. And he said this, I will remain in prison until the moss grows over my eyelids rather than deny my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, he stood to affirm those promises. Not only did he perceive them and persuaded of them, he possessed them. They were in his heart and in his mind. He was going to stand and affirm those precious promises. It's true that Jesus saves. It's true that Jesus can pardon your sin and give you a full and free and forever pardon. It's true that Jesus can cleanse you in his precious blood and justify and give you a fresh start. You know, sometimes we get complaints that we plead too much for souls to be saved. Wanting God to move and work. Urging sinners to repent and believe the gospel and flee from the wrath to come. Some people say you shouldn't preach like that. But let me tell you about John Calvin in Geneva. Do you know that he had a door-to-door ministry? And he went round and he pleaded with souls and he called on individuals to repent and believe the gospel. There was hundreds of churches, even though he never set foot in France for many years, opened up in France. You see, God was at work. And God calls on you on the authority of the name of Christ and by his word to repent and believe the gospel. We believe tonight in the free offer of the gospel. There's the promises affirmed. Very quickly, notice this. The principle adopted. These all died in faith. If they died in faith, then... The inference is that they lived by faith. You see, living by faith is inferred. You can't have one without the other. Conviction will lead to conversion, and that will lead to a change. There's a brokenness. I'm a lost sinner. I need to be saved. There's a believing in Christ to the saving of the soul. And then once the change has been made and a new heart is given, then there's a believing, a behavior that's completely different. Was not true of Abraham. He left the earth of the Chaldees, a city given over to idolatry. He was an idolater. And when he left at the call of God, his whole world changed. He discovered this world is not my home. This world is going to be destroyed. And it was by a flood. It's going to be destroyed again by fire. You know, this old world is going to go up in smoke. I asked the question tonight who or what are you living for? Old Noah was laughed and mocked at when he built the ark. You old fool, nothing has happened for years. But yet one day, the flood came and destroyed them all. In our day, many are still laughing and mocking and and branding the preacher and believers as being foolish. A thousand of years have passed. Why and where's the promise of his coming? Well, here's the answer. God is long-suffering. And God is calling men to repentance because there is such a reality of dying in faith in Christ. But you can't die in faith in Christ 
until you live in faith in Christ. Faith was their dominant characteristics of their lives, right up to the very point of their death. So there's a principle that's adopted here. And notice one final thing. The portrait that's announced. It says, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. A preacher asked a group of wee fellas one time, who wants to go to heaven? And one of them shot his hand up and says, not me. And he says, why not? Do you not want to go to heaven when you die? And the wee fella said, oh yes, I want to go to heaven when I die. I thought you meant going now as a group. You see, it's nice to think about heaven. I want to go there. But I'm not really interested in it now. I'm comfortable in the earth. But every stranger and pilgrim in Christ is no longer comfortable in the earth. They feel out of place. They feel that they can't somehow fit in. If you were to go on holiday to one of these foreign lands and you're a foreigner from Northern Ireland, you can't speak their language and you can't read the road signs and you don't know where you're going and the food's different, then... You, they would know well, you're a stranger. You, you don't fit in. You, you don't belong to this place. Well, that's the picture here. You see, they longed for heaven. They loved heaven. Heaven was in their hearts. For them, the better country was heaven. They wanted to go to this place whose builder and maker is God, a place without sin. And they had a love for heaven in their hearts. And they were not ashamed of the Lord or ashamed of his Christ. They confessed, what are we? Strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And I simply ask tonight this. Is this true of you? Here's the Christian's only true confession. The people addressed are people who have faith in Christ. And the promises affirmed are God's promises where they say, I believe in those promises. And the principle adopted is, I live by faith and I want to die by faith. And here's the portrait of my life. I make this confession. I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim on the earth because I've got heaven in my heart. And I can't feel at home anymore. Is that true of you tonight? Ask yourself this question. Is that true of me? Because that's the only confession that God will accept. The Lord bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening this evening.